as was kind of pointed out in our worship time this morning, the truth of the matter is that all of us are born with a human nature in which we are trapped. And uh, just like a person in prison, you don't get out unless somebody comes and frees you. And so we have this human nature in which we are trapped. And Jesus comes as our rescuer, our savior, as the Bible talks about it, to save us, as we all know, from all of our sins or anything that offends God about us. And uh, he saves us. He's our rescuer. And most people, when they think about the freedom that we have as Christians, think, well, I'm saved from the penalty of my sin. But I want to ask you a serious question this morning. Do you live like a free person today? Is Jesus' salvation just from the penalty of sin, or is it from the power of sin? Is there a freedom a progressive freedom that the Lord wants to lead us into a life that's increasingly free from the power of our old nature? Is there actually a way to get rid of that old nature that's marked by sinfulness and offensive to God and a pain in the neck to us so that we can put on this whole new nature, the very nature of Christ? There's a place in the Bible, uh, Peter actually says this, where When you become a Christian, the Bible says, you become a partaker of God's nature. Imagine that, a partaker of God's nature. How does that actually happen? Well, the truth of the matter is, we've been talking about the very fact that when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God gets inside of you. And the very Spirit of God takes up residence inside of our spirit. And the very nature of God, the very presence of God begins to exist in every genuine believer. When you, um, when, whenever a person identifies with Christ, they always identify with both his death and his resurrection. You, you can't get free from your old nature by yourself. You cannot work yourself into freedom from your old nature. And it's because Jesus died a substitutionary death in our place on the cross, that God is able to turn to us and to release us from that old nature and the penalty of sin. And everybody who's a Christian, everybody who identifies with Jesus, identifies with his death because that was really like our death in our place. He took for us. And that's how we get right with God. But every Christian also identifies with his resurrection. And it's in his resurrection that the very Spirit of God brought him back to life and comes to live now that he's alive to live and to be shared with each and every one of us. The Bible actually says the Lord is the Spirit, the Spirit is the Lord. So when you talk about, well, you know, I'm going to, you've probably all heard stories about little kids. You say, you know, I want to invite Jesus into my heart. How how does that happen? And, you know, a little child is thinking, how's a person going to get inside of my heart? You know, kind of like, Uh, uh, how can I be born again and enter my mother's womb again? And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And the very Spirit of God gets inside of us, and the very nature of God is born in us. And you might say that the Christian life from that point on, okay, is learning how to get along with the Spirit of God that now resides in every true Christian. How do I get along with the very spirit, the very life source of God who's moved into my life? How do I live with this new spirit who is in me? This, 
And, and am I experiencing an increasing amount of freedom from my old nature so that I'm actually becoming the person that I want to be? I think, you know, when you become a believer, when you look at Jesus and you say, wow, he was loving and kind and patient and full of grace and so wise, I'd like to be like that. It's attractive. So go for it. And what happens? You can't do that on your own. You can't become like Christ. But God actually will put his nature and transform us into the likeness of Christ with a progressive kind of freedom. And so in the New Testament, there are several passages of Scripture that teach us how to relate to the Spirit of God. And I'd like to uh, just focus with you this morning on a few of those passages of Scripture. Some of them are negative. There are some passages of Scripture um, that tell us that non-Christian people can actually blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. It's the unpardonable sin. If you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you won't listen to that voice that God sent into the world to uh, deliver us. There's no hope for you because you're stuck in your old nature with no rescuer. Because that spirit is, is the very spirit of Christ seeking you to, seeking to lead you to Christ. And so you can blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter, uh, uh, what is it, 5, I think. Um, I think, remember, you studied this, that Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit. You remember that? He was struck dead. You can lie to the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen uh, said that the Jewish people are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You can resist the Holy Spirit. You can lie to the Holy Spirit. You can blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so on and so forth. The Spirit is in the world testifying to the truth. But Christians, once we're Christians and the Spirit of God is in us, uh, we are taught how to live. And I want to uh, suggest to you two warnings in Scripture and one command with regard to getting along with the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to actually transform us into increasing levels of freedom that we might be the people that God created us to be. And uh, ultimately, uh, we'll be satisfied once we're in heaven. One of the earliest um, pieces of the New Testament that was written is the letter to the Thessalonians. In fact, uh, some people, I think probably most people, think this was the first uh, epistle, the first letter that Paul wrote was to uh, the Thessalonian church. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, we have the first kind of warning about how to get along with the Spirit of God. Kind of the earliest letter talks about this issue of getting along with the Spirit of God, the earliest letter in the New Testament. And uh, if you're familiar with a book of uh, the two books uh, Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church, uh, you might uh, remember that the issue here was um, people were confused about the Lord's return. The Lord is coming back. Jesus is coming again, right? It's all over the Bible. Jesus promised it. He's coming again. And so what happened is those people thought that Jesus was coming immediately. And then some of the people in their church died. And then they got really confused. Like they felt like those people had missed out on what God promised when Jesus is going to come back. And so they, this letter is written by Paul to kind of clarify a prophecy. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 19, here's... Here's what the Bible says. Here's kind of the first warning. Whatever you do, don't quench, if you have a King James Bible, don't quench the Spirit of God. Don't put out the fire of God, is how it is said in the NIV. 
If God puts this source of life inside of you, the last thing you want to do is drown it out. The last thing you want to do is quench, you know, the fire of God. You remember John the Baptist said, look, I baptize with water, but Jesus, when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Don't put the fire of God's Spirit out in your life. Well, how do you do that? Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. It's all one sentence in the Greek. And, and, and you know, there were no, uh, this was written as a letter to a church, so there were no chapters and verses, it was just written as a letter. And in the original language, uh, all the way to 22 is one sentence. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. That was all one sentence in the Greek. I just, let me just, uh, if you, if you have your Bible open there, uh, first of all, I just want to say this church, Thessalonica, was a great church. Uh, sometimes I ask myself, if I were alive in New Testament times, all right, and uh, I could go to any one of these churches. I'm looking for a church, you know, back then, a couple thousand years ago. I'm trying to find a good church. Uh, what church would I join? Well, I would never join a Corinthian church, right? Because they're all, you know, they're all messed up. They're just, you know, it's a horrible church. I mean, Paul writes to that church. He said, oh, my goodness, I hate to be a part of that church. Well, you know, they didn't have cars back then. They just, you know, they had to walk to church. You know, if you lived in Corinth, you couldn't just go to church over in Thessalonica. So, you know, you're stuck. So you had to straighten out the church. And that's why Paul wrote. But, man, if I was, if I had the freedom to choose a church, I'd choose this church. If you read just the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, you'd say, that is a cool church. I'd love to be a part of a church like that. The whole church was about faith, hope, and love. They're all working, and, and, and uh, they're all in harmony. They're all giving up their old life. The word of God is sounding out from them all over the place. And so Paul says, this is an example church. And uh, uh, just in chapter 1, just let me read the second and third verse. It says, we always thank God for you. I, I don't know that Paul says it as strongly to the Corinthian church. You know, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you with our prayer. We continually remember before God our Father your work produced by faith. Your work produced by faith. If you have real faith, it always translates into work, right? Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love. Would you agree that if you're going to love, it always turns into some kind of labor? I mean, if you're going to love somebody, it's always going to be some kind of labor that's going to be involved, right? And he says, uh, your endurance inspired by hope. Oh, I love this church. You know why? Because they hung in there. They went through tough times. Paul says, this wasn't a country club church. He said, you guys had all kinds of problems. But listen, these people had endurance. They were like, oh, you know, somebody didn't say hi to me this week. I'm going to go find a new church. Because hope produces endurance. You know, uh, the best part of the Christian life is to come, right? And when you believe that and you hold on to that, man, you can endure through a lot of things. And so this was a great church, but they were very confused about the Lord's return. And so in chapter 4, for example, in verse 13, look what Paul writes to these, this whole group of people. Here's what he says. Brothers, look, we don't want you to be ignorant. There's several places in the New Testament to talk about ignorance. And this is one of them. He says, here, here's one thing. We don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, about those who have died. We don't want you to misunderstand what happens to people when they die. Okay. And he says, we don't want you to grieve 
like other people who have no hope. See, these people thought, oh, some people in church died. The Lord hasn't come back yet. They're lost forever. They misunderstood. And so Paul's writing to straighten them out. And he says, look, we believe that Christ died and he rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. I love the way the Bible talks about death like sleep. But that's what Paul is talking about here. And then in chapter 5 in 1 Thessalonians, he, he says, brothers, look, about the times and the dates. Barb and I just spent a week at a... Uh, a conference on prophecy down in Pennsylvania this past week. And um, th this is one of my favorite passages when it comes to prophecy because I think the church is confused still. Even though Thessalonians was one of the first books written, it says, look, brothers, about the times and the dates, we don't need to write to you for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Everybody knows that verse, right? Oh, boy, you know, we just don't know and the He's just going to come like a thief in the night. Nobody's going to be, look at verse 3. People are going to be saying peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly like labor tains on a pregnant woman, and they won't escape. Wow, we just never know. Yeah, well, keep reading. Look at the next verse. But you, brothers, you Christian people who have the Spirit of God in you and have the Scriptures, but you people, you're not in the dark like those people, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. The last thing a Christian should think is that the Lord's going to come totally unexpected. Because why? Because the Spirit of God that uh, has given us the truth about what to expect has revealed it and made it known to us. It'll be like a thief in the night to the person who's not a believer, of course, but not to us. And so, you know, I'm just kind of fired up a little bit, but the truth of the matter is, listen, if you quench the Spirit by having contempt for prophecy, the church is in trouble. We're at this conference. There were hundreds of people from all over the country. And, uh, you know, when Barb and I go to a thing like this, we don't, like, announce that we're a pastor and wife. We just want to be like one of the crowd, you know. But they always smell us out somehow, you know. <laughs> They either ask the question or they say, are you a pastor, you know? And, and so, yeah, we get to talking about that. And every place where we sat, we sat at different tables, different people from all over the country. They say, do you preach about prophecy? I say, yeah, why not? They say, we don't have any teaching about prophecy in our church. And that's why we're here at this conference. We've laid it on our pastor. We've begged our pastor. And here's, you know, one one old gentleman, uh, very wealthy oil man from Texas kind of guy. He's like, you know, I beg my pastor and he just says to me, I don't even read the book of Revelation because we're all just going to be out of here before any of that happens. And this guy, almost with tears in his eyes, is like, you know, that's not right, is it? And I'm like, no, who do you think Revelation was written to? Of course we should study prophecy. You want to quench the Holy Spirit in your life? You want to get rid of hope? You want to give up perseverance? Just treat prophecy with contempt. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Look, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecy with contempt. And I think there's an awful lot of that that still goes on today. If, if you turn over to 2 Thessalonians, just the next page. Again, in chapter 2, just the first couple of verses, 
Again, I just want to make the point, Paul is talking about the second coming of Christ here in First and Second Thessalonians. It's a key passage to understand prophecy from. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, don't become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. That's what these people thought. They thought, oh, some people died. Jesus didn't come back yet. It must be that the day of the Lord has already come, and we missed it. And then he goes on, and he explains. He says, don't let anybody deceive you in any way about these things. I mean, it's pretty strong language, right? Don't let anybody deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction the same person that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that's called God or his worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaim himself to be God, and so on and so forth. Listen, don't think the Lord's going to come back until the Antichrist comes first, is what he's saying. I just, uh, you don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. You don't want to put out the fire of the Spirit. And one of the ways, one of the original ways that this happened is when people misunderstand prophecy. Now, the word prophecy in the Bible is used two ways. Uh, a prophet is simply one uh, who speaks forth the word of God. Okay? And a lot of speaking forth the word of God contains not just speaking forth, but speaking forward. About a third of the Bible, when it was written, was prophetic revealed the future. One of the reasons that I, with all my heart, believe this is the Word of God and only this, one of the major reasons is because it's so filled with prophetic truth. Hundreds and hundreds of years before the events happen, God's laid it all out as to what's going to happen. Then it comes about. How can you resist that? How can you fight that? How can you think that some man wrote that? And so one of the reasons why I believe the Scriptures so strongly is that Part of them foretell the future. Here's uh, Peter, you know, uh, explained to us how the Bible and how God's Word comes to us. And the truth about it is that um, I have this new Bible and the pages still stick. Here's what Peter says, Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Uh, Above all, you must understand no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. You need to understand, no prophecy ever came about by man's interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that lives in us will testify to His truth when we pay attention to it, and we will understand it. The Spirit who wrote it is the Spirit who lives in us. And so one of the first warnings that comes to us as Christians, listen, you don't ever want to treat God's Word with contempt. You don't want to ever be casual about God's Word. You don't want to ever not be in a Bible study or neglect the devotional life or ignore the Scriptures. It's to literally kill the Spirit in you. You literally make the Spirit kind of useless if you won't interface with His Word. Everybody understands that every relationship is based on communication. And the way that the Spirit of God communicates with us foremost is through His Word, through prophetic teaching. Uh, not just foretelling, but also forthtelling. 
The Spirit speaks to us through God's Word. And so um, the Bible says here in, in the Thessalonian passage, uh, look, uh, instead of ignoring it, test it. Test everything. First uh, Thessalonians 5.19, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecy with contempt. Test everything. Test everything. Everything you hear, you can test against what you know is true from the Word of God. And all through the Bible, you know, we're encouraged to test things. Uh, way back in the Old Testament, in um, Deuteronomy, listen, to, let me just, in the Old Testament, if a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, does some kind of spectacular, miraculous thing, right? And if the sign or wonder which he has spoken of takes place, and he says, let's follow other gods. Somebody comes, does something spectacular, heals somebody, and then tries to lead you to follow some other god that hasn't been revealed by the Spirit of God through his word. He says, um, gods you have not known, and let us go worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you. The Lord your God is testing you to see whether or not you're committed to him. He says, the Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and all your soul or not. One of the sessions that we were through had to do with uh, Abraham. And you know, God came to Abraham and called Abraham to himself and made a spectacular promise to Abraham. You know, through you and your people, the seed that was promised in Genesis 3.15 is going to come. It's going to bless all nations through Abraham. And you know, he's 100 years old before he, Isaac is born. But he trusts God. He has faith in God. And you go all through this whole life story and so forth. And then God comes to him and says, now, I want you to take your son Isaac. And he says, by the way, you know, for, for those who uh, study Islam and you understand that, you know, uh, Isaac was the chosen son of Abraham. Uh, God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to take Isaac, your only son. Your only son. I want you to take Isaac, your only son. And I want you to kill him. And the Bible says, well, it was a test. It was a test. And uh, I don't have time to get into it, but uh, the way this was all developed was that, you know, God actually was looking for permission from Abraham to crucify Jesus because Isaac is a type of Christ. And uh, God rejoices when he's found faithful. It was all part of this, you know, again, future orientation of the scriptures uh, that God was doing. But it was a test. And uh, so the point is here that uh, all through the scriptures, Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 24. He says, look, you know, at the end times, there are going to be a lot of people saying a lot of things. You should test what's, what you're hearing. What you hear on TV what you hear here in this pulpit, what you hear, you know, from your friends, from Bible studies and so forth, you should test these things and discern whether or not uh, they square with everything you know in the scriptures because there are many spirits. Again, 1 John, uh, he says this specifically, he says, dear friends, look, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether or not they're from God. How do you do that? Well, based on the scriptures that the spirit has written, right? Well, why do we have to do this? Well, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every teaching, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus, the Son of God, has come in the flesh 
is on the right track. Why? The Spirit glorifies Jesus. The Lord is the Spirit. The Spirit is the Lord, you know, uh, has come in the flesh, is from God. But every spirit that doesn't acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Now, you can take, you know, I mean, I, I know it's kind of contemporary because of a presidential candidate, but Mormonism? What is Mormonism's take on Jesus? And you can, great morality, great faith in terms of a lot of family values. What's their teaching on Jesus? Because that's the determining factor. Test the spirits. You know, and test it by what you know today. Now, I think still today, many, many people are still uh, very uh, unaware of what God has said is going to happen about the future. Uh, unaware of prophecy. And a lot of people show contempt for prophecy. And uh, it, it puts out the Spirit's fire. And, you know, you only have a past, a present, and a future. And if you whack out the future, the past is already done. And you're just living in the present. And so, you know, we talk to people and, uh, you know, so, some people say, you know, well, I really don't know. It's too confusing to study the Bible and figure that all out. So I'm just a pan-millennialist. I just believe everything will pan out in the end. <laughs> huh. You know what? That's what puts out the Spirit's fire in a person's life. They have nothing to really look forward to, nothing to attach their hope to. You know, and uh, there's a whole movement in the church now. You, you need to be aware of this. It's a big movement. Uh, it's called replacement theology. And the idea is that Israel is totally out of God's vision now. And the church is the new Israel. And so all the prophecies that are related to Israel, which to me, I, I think Israel's a miracle that, that we're living with today, that they exist. That ought to be affirmation for some of the promises of God. All of that's being wiped out and saying, no, it's got nothing to do with it, and reinterpreted to all apply to the church. It's called replacement theology. No future for Israel. So contrary to what the Word of God says in its plain sense. Well, I shouldn't get off in that direction. The whole point is... Um, whether it's proclamation or prediction, uh, contempt for God's word quenches the Spirit's fire in your life. You bored with your spiritual life? You feel like you're stalled in your spiritual life? You know, you're stuck in your spiritual life and so forth? Have we quenched? Have we put out the fire? Have we dumped water on the fire by not interacting with God's word, playing loose with God's word? So that's the first warning. Second warning uh, comes to us from Ephesians. And in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, uh, the first warning is, look, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't quench the Spirit. Second warning, if we want to live in this freedom that Christ went to the cross to gain for us, if we want to experience it, not just talk about it, not just talk in terms of, uh, you know, the past and the future, but in the present, um, then we're warned here, whatever you do, don't grieve the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, uh, don't grieve the Spirit. Uh, look what he says here. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed. Don't grieve the Spirit of God. Now, the Spirit is a person. The Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And so as a, a person, the Spirit has an intellect, has feelings, has a will. You know, it's a per the, the Spirit is a person. And, and not only that, but the person is God. This is the person of God who's residing in us in the form of his spirit. And that's the freedom that comes to us from being a Christian. So 
Ephesians now is the ultimate statement on uh, life in the church. If you want to know, like, well, how should I be a part of the church, uh, you should study the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is, you know, it's about the body of Christ. You know, the Bible calls the church the body of Christ, that every one of us is a part of the tangible presence of Christ in the world today. The body of Christ, that's what the church is. We are the presence of God in the world today. If somebody wants to find God, where do they find him? Well, they come to us, because that's where he lives, in the person of his spirit. And so the church is called, literally, the body of Christ in the, in the scriptures and Corinthians and so forth. And every Christian, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 12, is baptized into the body of Christ. So the, the church is the embodiment of Christ. And so Ephesians is all about, you know, how to, how to live in that body. And uh, Ephesians 4, in particular, where this verse is found, is, uh, is um, you, you know, inspired by how to live with the Holy Spirit in your life. And so... The first few verses are all about unity, all about, you know, unity in the church. Look at verse 3. Make every effort, and it is an effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's an effort, isn't it, to be a part of a church? Right? You're going to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what, Paul, don't grieve the Spirit. Make an effort, and it is an effort. Go the extra mile, and whatever effort might mean to you. Uh, the next part of, uh, of chapter 4, verses 7 to 13, talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Look at, like, verse um, 7. To each one of us, there's about 300, 350 people at Trinity Church. Each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. Everybody's a player. Everybody has a piece of the action. In the body, in your physical body, every part of you has a function. And when the body works right, every part is doing their thing. And all the parts together enjoy life. And the Bible says that the church is like a body in that every person has a part and every person has been graced, gifted by God to, to have a role, to have a part. And when everybody contributes their part, there's health in the body. And uh, next section, verse 14 to 16, we don't have time to get into all of this, but you know, it talks about maturity. There's no static in the church. There's no people staying the same. Everybody's either growing, you know, or they're losing ground. And if God has his way in the church, uh, there's a maturity happening, a Christ-likeness. Uh, there's a growth into Christ-likeness. And then the next part of this uh, fourth chapter is, look, here's what you got to do. Put off your old nature. Put off your form. Get rid of your old smelly clothes and put on these new clothes that God is giving you, you know. And it's this exchange that's going on. And then in verses 29 to 32, where our verse comes from, uh, talks about how our life is to reflect our profession. This spirit, this nature that God has given to us. And look, verse 29, don't let un any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Okay? But only what's helpful for building up the next person. You mean I can't vent? You mean I can't gripe? You mean I can't put down? You mean I can't gossip? No, you know, when the Spirit has his way, 
He wants us to treat other people like God treats you. And so only say those things which are helpful to build up the next person. It's a challenge, huh? Building up others according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. Don't grieve the Spirit by making a profession to be a Christian and living in such a way that brings disgrace on the Lord. That grieves the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit by uh, having a, a, a walk that doesn't match the talk. I think we grieve the Spirit when our life doesn't match our professions. And, and that's why uh, um, Paul says in Galatians 5, you know, walk in the Spirit and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, to grieve somebody is to, to hurt them deeply, right? Have you, ever thought, have you ever been grieved? To grieve somebody is to, to hurt them deeply. To grieve is to suffer a, uh, over a loss in our life. Maybe you lose a person and you're grieving. Maybe you lose your health and you're grieving. Maybe you lose a possession and you're grieving, you know, uh, over these losses that are in our life. And here's the problem with grief. It's at a spiritual level. That's why words don't fix grief. Because words hit us at a physical level. But when we're hurting on the inside, when we're grieving, um, you know, and, and I want to say this. I, it only happens in conjunction with somebody that loves deeply, that you love deeply. Somebody you don't care about can't grieve you. Something you don't care about doesn't grieve you with the loss. So you can't be grieved by somebody you don't love. You can't be grieved by somebody that you don't love. Have you ever been deeply hurt by somebody that you really care about? What's been your reaction? Have you ever said something like this? I will never set myself up to hurt like that again. Right? Well, in Christianity, the Spirit of God loves you deeply. God now, God. And allows himself to be grieved by us. I mean, if I was God, I wouldn't let you turkeys grieve me. I mean, I would just put myself so high away from all of you and just say, poor slobs. But the God of the Bible, the very spirit of God, the very person of God allows himself to be grieved, to be hurt deeply. By those who make a profession to be followers of Christ and then have no regard for how they live and refuse to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, refuse to uh, live the freedom that the Spirit of God comes and gives us. So I ask you, you know, who, who can grieve the Spirit? Only us. Who can really hurt the Spirit? Only the people that He really loves. And the Spirit loves you. A uh, couple of things about the Spirit. The Spirit gave you your life. He regenerated you. You can't be a Christian without being regenerated by the Spirit of God, having this new life that God puts in us. 
The Spirit gave you your life. The Spirit speaks to your conscience. The Spirit shows us Jesus. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit comforts us and encourages us when we're brokenhearted. The Spirit binds up our broken hearts. The Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. The Spirit helps us to pray. The Spirit will never forsaken or abandon us. The Spirit produces in us faith and hope and, and love. So who can grieve the Spirit? Only us, whom he loves so dearly. And this uh, whole context here about grieving the Spirit is in the context of our relationships with one another in particular. And we grieve the Spirit when we won't treat others, just like a, a parent gets grieved when brothers and sisters won't get along and fight and all of that. And to God, it's a very important thing. And this whole context makes this connection about our community and how uh, it's in this community that our faith is driven to deeper levels of freedom. Now, the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And, and so when we become aware that we're grieving God's spirit, repentance is the only option. So look, don't put out the fire of the spirit by ignoring his word. And don't grieve the spirit by refusing to enter into significant, meaningful relationships with one another in the church so that the church might be a demonstration of God's presence in the world. And then the last point that I wanted to make was... Um, in Ephesians chapter 5, there's a command for all of us to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18. Um, great verse. You probably are aware of it. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Interesting comparison to being drunk, right? When you're drunk, uh, you're beyond shame. Your actions are beyond shame. When you're filled with the Spirit... You're beyond human reason. You're filled with the reason of God. Why would you love your enemy? It's beyond human reason. You're doing it because the very Spirit of God for whom you were an enemy at one point has loved you. And so when you're filled with the Spirit, you're, you're acting in a way that's beyond human reason and filled with God's reason. Um, and, and again, notice uh, the context here. In verses 15 uh, uh, to 22, he says, Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, and therefore don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another. Speak to one another. With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Look at, look at this is kind of an interesting passage here. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Out of the context of worship and love for God ought to flow this speaking to one another. Our, 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 the influence of our relationship with God ought to start in our heart and work its way out in how we talk to one another. I'm not talking about you know, having to sing to one another kind of thing. I'm talking about making music in your heart to the point that you affect other people with the music in your life that's there because of the Spirit of God. It's about being a witness. It's about moving around and, and being an encouragement and so forth, making music in your heart, to always giving thanks, gratitude. Hey, look, don't, don't live on half empty with the Spirit, but when the Spirit fills your heart, you'll be filled with thanksgiving, you'll music in your heart, thanksgiving, you know, to, to the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are so rich as a Christian. You've got such an inheritance that's yours. And why don't you live in the freedom of what that really means and so on. And then the last thing, verse 21, 
Submit to one another. Uh Uh-oh. Be filled with the Spirit and submit to one another. This goes back again to Jesus. Remember in Philippians, Paul says that uh, we're to live in such a way that we consider the other person more important than ourselves. Because the same attitude that was in Jesus ought to be in us. And he was God and he emptied himself and humbled himself and became our servant and went to the cross on our behalf. He submitted himself to us, to his Father on our behalf. He considered us more important than himself. And so be filled with the Spirit is a command. It's for everybody. It's continuous. And, and, and to be filled with the Spirit shows up in our relationships again. It, it's talking to one another. It's making music in our hearts, our relationship with God and our relationship with God. Let me just close on this point. One author that I read um, was talking about uh, almost all the time when the Bible talks about being filled with God's Spirit, there's almost always an and, A-N-D. Okay, and so kind of check this out. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit and will turn many back to the Lord. Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, was filled and exclaimed a blessing over Mary. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, was filled and prophesied. The apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke. Believers were persecuted and then filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak God's word boldly. Paul was filled in Acts chapter 13 and rebuked the sorcerer. Deacons in Acts 6 were filled with the Spirit and with wisdom. Stephen was filled and had faith. Barnabas was filled and had joy. The filling of the Spirit results in blessing for other people. It's never to glorify yourself. The filling of the Spirit always results in this music in your heart that spills over into other people's lives and results in submission to one another in ways that promote the cause of Christ. What a great thought. And by the way, I would say to you that there's always more room to be filled with God's Spirit. There are always new circumstances. There are always new people in your life. There are always new challenges. There are always new problems. There's always room. And this is a command. Look, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't quench the Spirit by ignoring God's Word. Live in God's Word. Saturate. You know, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, the Bible says. Don't quench the Spirit by ignoring the Bible. And then second, don't grieve the Spirit. The Spirit's a person. Don't grieve the Spirit by living different than your profession. You know, make the Spirit proud that, wow, I'm living in you and you're living this life and and you're moving and growing and changing and maturing and becoming Christ-like and I'm so excited. Versus, I can't believe we're still here at this stage. And then finally, be filled with the Spirit. Allow the relationship with God to so fill your heart that there's music, music. There's a joy, there's an excitement, there's a peace, there's a truth and so on and so forth. And let it spill over into your relationships with other people. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we have your word. We have a sure word. We're so thankful that your Spirit is the one who wrote your word and that it's the same Spirit that's in us that resonates with us when we understand it. And all of us are in the process, Father, of uh, gaining a more mature understanding of your word. And uh, so many of us, Father, say that, you know, we believe there's a God, and yet we ignore the word that you've written to us. And so I pray, Father, that uh, you would uh, inspire us by your spirit to be hungry and to be craving for 
your word, and uh, not just uh, for that which applies to our immediate life, but uh, for that prophetic word that speaks about what's going to happen in the future and that gives us the advantage and enables us to live with less anxiety and more confidence and, and uh, kind of excitement about what's in store for us. And I pray you'll help us, Father, not to grieve you. It's an awesome thought to me to think that your people made out of dirt, you know, can bring grief to you. And then, Father, I pray that we'll have a desire to be filled with your spirit, that we'll want to be maximized while we have this little bit of time here on earth so that someday, Father, we'll stand in your presence and you'll say, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.